purpose for my message this morning is this. Big, bold letters I've got. I need my church. And little, small, lowercase letters, plain type, my church needs me. So God is going to reveal to us today why you need your church and why the church needs you. The reason that I put it in type like that, and it's sort of like that up here, the reason I put it big and small is because I need my church much more than my church needs me. That isn't to say the church doesn't need you. It's to say you need the church more than the church needs you, and I believe that totally. I believe that I've experienced that all of my life as a child of God. From the very beginning of starting to walk with the Lord, I realized the value of my church. I'm not going to say I enunciated, I didn't proclaim it. I don't know that I understood it as clearly as I do now. Because even now, after all of these years, I will say to you, right now, today, I need my church. I need you. I need you. This church of the Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm not talking about anything except the fact that we are to support each other. And I believe that that's the word of God. We're to support each other. To gather together in the bonds of love and in the spirit of unity and in the faith that we share in Jesus Christ, which makes us brothers and sisters in him and support and help and pray for and believe with one another. I need you. This is a good practice. Coming to church is a good practice. It's a good thing. We don't ask you to come here so you can give your offerings. You can do that without coming, as a matter of fact, as you well know. We don't ask you to come here so we can count you in the number. I made a statement a long time ago in the old church. I don't know why I remember it so well, but I do. I remember the very time I believe the Lord gave me this and put it in my own heart. I said, because we were helping an individual who wasn't a part of our church. He was a pastor who was having a difficult time. And we gave him a substantial offering to help him, $5,000 as a matter of fact. It was harder to give $5,000 from our church back then than it is today. <laughs> but we, out of our hearts, we gave him $5,000 an offering of love. And when I said that, I saw some people in the congregation kind of glancing at each other. I picked up on things like that, you know. <laughs> I saw some people kind of glancing at each other. And I said, listen, folks. He's not assemblies of God, but I decided a long time ago it's more important to me to build the kingdom of God than it is to build the assemblies of God. And guess what? They did what you just did right now. They applauded it. Because it's a fact. It's true. We're interested in building the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and reaching everybody we possibly can with that message. And we need each other to do it together. Win somebody to Christ. You may not be the one to disciple them. After you disciple them to a certain level, you may not be the one to take them further and deeper. But there's a place for everybody in the body of Christ as we build it for the glory of God. And it's a good example that Jesus left us. You know, some of the things that Jesus did, I'm sure he did, so, and they're recorded so that we would know what he did, and we could try to follow his example. One of the things Jesus did is he went to church. 
Now, they, they didn't call it church then, but it was the gathering of the believers as they knew it. It was a synagogue. And every time, either on the evening of the Sabbath or on the Sabbath day, it was usually on the Sabbath, they had a meeting of those who believed in the Word of God and who gathered around the Word to testify to that belief. They were called Hebrews or Jews. Jesus was one of them. And so he found himself going to the synagogue every Sabbath day. And the Bible records that. When Jesus came out of the wilderness, having been tempted by the devil, he started his ministry. He traveled around the uh, province of Galilee and various cities, and the word about Jesus began to be spread. And then shortly after that, a brief period of time, he went to his hometown of Nazareth. This is all recorded in Luke chapter 4. You can mark it down and go and read it later on. He went to his hometown of Nazareth, and as his custom was, that's what the Bible says, the King James Version says, as was his custom. I like that. It says Jesus had a habit of going to the synagogue. It was a Sabbath procedure for him. Just like Sunday morning is a time that we come together in the house of God, and that was the example that Jesus set for us. He went every Sabbath. We come every Lord's Day. I don't have time to tell you about the Sabbath and the Lord's Day. Someday, if you don't understand it already, I'll try to explain it to you. But we don't meet on the Sabbath anymore, mainly because Jesus rose on the first day. And every time we come together, we're celebrating his life, his eternal life, and his resurrection from the dead, and all that that means to us. Because all of our faith and all of our lives are totally founded upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, and he went this morning in the synagogue of Nazareth, which was his hometown. So he went in. And they gave him the opportunity, because he now become known as a teacher, they gave him the opportunity to read from the Scriptures that day. And they asked for him, he asked them to find Isaiah 53 and put it in his hands, and they did. And so now they're so proud of him, they're saying, this is our hometown boy. This is Joseph, the carpenter's son. Remember, he was worked with him over there in the, in the shop. We all know him. He was always a fine young man. He's gone out and doing good things. We're so proud of him. So Jesus stood up and read the Scriptures. And he read the Scriptures that, that says that God would send the Messiah. He would send him out. of uh, he, would, he would bring him forth prophetically and bring him forth to minister to his people. And, 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 the, and the whole Scripture spoke about the coming of the Messiah. And then when Jesus had read that, he said, This day this Scripture is fulfilled for you. This day, right now, this scripture is fulfilled for you. And they looked at each other, consternation and shock. Is he claiming to be the Messiah? And Jesus made it very clear as he went on, yes, I am saying I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that God sent. I'm the one that God promised by the prophets. I am the one, the Messiah, your salvation. And then they changed their minds about what a nice man he was. And they looked at each other with grief and sorrow, agony and consternation. And then they, they had some kind of a little brief consultation. It didn't take them long. They decided, we better, we've got to get rid of him. He's not who we thought he was. So they took him out. They actually apprehended him and took him outside and took him up to a hilltop 
side of Na- at the edge of Nazareth where they were going to throw him down and kill him because of the message. I am the Messiah. They were going to get rid of him. Well, God moved in the situation. The Bible says he just calmly walked away. How could that happen? Somehow the Holy Spirit worked to make that happen. He got out of their grip, got free from their bondage that they, put, that were, that they were holding him into, and just walked away and went on to further his ministry. But that was what Jesus encountered for the rest of his life. As long as, as, long as he lived in this world, he encountered that kind of opposition from the Jews. When it became known that he was proclaiming himself to be the Messiah, the, cop, the opposition rose up against him to try to stop that message and to stop him. But it didn't stop him. You know what he did every Sunday morning? They knew where they could find him. Wherever he was in the province, he would be in the nearest synagogue. Because every Sabbath morning, that's where he went. Every Sabbath they found Jesus in the presence of those who believed the prophecies, who believed the Word of God. Now, they didn't know necessarily believe that he was the one fulfilling those prophecies, but they still believed the prophecies. They believed the Old Testament Word of God. And they came together to celebrate that. As we come together on the Lord's Day to celebrate the fact that the New Testament is the revelation of God, it is the declaration that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, that He has risen from the dead, and because of that our salvation is complete. His resurrection sells to us we have eternal life because He has eternal life, and He can now justify the fact of His statement, I have the resurrection and the life. We have life eternally because Jesus rose from the dead. And so, he established the fact that it was a good thing to, uh, to go to the house of God, as was his custom. It is frequently used to speak of Jesus' regular attendance in the synagogue and the temple. When he was lost and his parents didn't know it for two or three days, they ran back to Jerusalem trying to find him. And finally, they went to the temple where they had celebrated the feast that they were there for. And Jesus was among the leaders, among the leaders of the temple, and he was speaking words of wisdom to them, the great teachers of the age. He said, don't you know when his parents questioned him, don't you know I'm supposed to be about my father's business in my father's house? And later on he proclaimed the victory of his house when he said to to the, the money changers in the temple, my house is to be a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. It was a spiritual place, and that's why Jesus was always there. So, Jesus needed his church. Later on, he gathered with his disciples after his resurrection, just before his death, and then after his resurrection, he was regularly with them. But he gathered with them in special times right after his resurrection. And when, he, and when he had these little first meetings of the church, the very first ones that ever were held after his resurrection, those who were there were blessed, and those who were not there were not blessed. They missed something, in other words, when they were there. Remember when Thomas wasn't there? And he missed it. And he was a great denier because he missed the service. It wasn't that it hadn't been announced. It wasn't that they didn't know that the service was going to happen. It had all been told everybody else was there. So Thomas had been notified. He just chose not to go. And then he said he'd lost something because he said, I won't believe it. I don't believe it, and I won't believe it unless I see the prints of the nails in his hand left, I can put my hand in the driven side. Well, later on, you know, he came back and Jesus performed that for him. So he came to be a, he came to be a total believer where before he was not. But the reason he wasn't because he lost faith. 
because he missed the gathering of the people of God. You see my point? I ask you, do you see my point? <laughs> Just want to know you're still awake and with me. You know, I think back to my own experience a lot of times in a lot of things. I've, I've had experience in almost all things now that relates to the house of God and serving God. I know there's probably something new still. If there is, I'll embrace it. But so far, I, I can look at all the things that God's done for me in my life that prove things to me now. When I was saved, I was, I was in my mid-teens when I was saved. And I had a mighty experience with God. I've told you that. I had a great, wonderful experience with God. Of all the things that I have doubted in my years, all the things that I've doubted, I can tell you I never had the first moment that I ever doubted that God saved me. I will confess to you that over this period of many years, I've had times that I wondered if I still wanted to walk with him. And you have too if you're honest about it. But then I came to the conclusion that I, I, had, that I had everything to gain and nothing to lose by giving my life totally to Jesus. And when I made that decision, it was the right decision. When God called me to preach and I had all these other things out before me that I wanted to do and I was pulled to it and drawn to, and I had, I had to make a decision, was I going to preach the gospel and was I going to preach it as a Pentecostal servant of God? And I made that choice and I gave up a lot of things to make that choice. But when I did, I knew I'd made the right choice and I've known it for a long, long time. It's still true today. I know that I made the right choice then and it's right now today it's still the right choice for my life. That's what God said for it. But the reason I was able to do that, the reason I was able to do that, I had a, I had a, I was grounded in, in, in a, in a full spirit-filled church. I was grounded in a fully, grounded in a fully Pentecostal church because when I first got saved, I admit to you, we didn't have all kinds of uh, abundance of television then, and of course, then it was a sin to go to the movies. They told me, so, so there wasn't much else to do. But I could have chosen to do other things. There are a lot of mischief to get into. I could have chosen to do other things. But when God saved me, the one thing that I knew had to be a part of my life, I had to be in church. And when they had church at that little place that I've been, I showed you pictures a few months back. I showed you pictures going back to that little church and finding the very place where God had saved me, where God had come into my life. And all these years that had passed, still that I stood in the first pulpit where I preached the Word of God the first time I ever preached a sermon in that church, and I stood in the pulpit and showed you the pictures of all of that. Because I knew that. I, I knew that church. I was a part of it. I was regular, faithful. When they had a church service, I was there. If I wasn't there, somebody wondered what was wrong with me. Was I sick? Had I gone to the hospital? What's wrong? He's not here. There were so few times that that ever happened, the question hardly ever came up. I went to church. I preach to you that it's a good thing to come and be in the house of God. I know it because I've experienced it. And I know that when I had difficult times that came, when I had the difficult decisions that I sometimes had to make, I know where my strength came from. It came from the Lord, but through the support of those people who were in the body of Christ that I knew and knew well, that I trusted and believed in, who would pray for me and help me and hold me up, and that they did. They did it because I knew that I was depending on them. The house of God is the place for the child of God to be when that time comes for the body to gather together. Now, my friends, I tell you that you can say a lot of things. 
And he said, I have this discussion with me, and I will be glad and happy to have this discussion with anyone who doesn't agree with what I'm saying right now anytime on a personal basis. I'll be glad to sit down with you and let you tell me why it's a good thing that people don't have to come to church. They can meet in the house. They can gather and pray together because Jesus says where two or three are gathered together in my name that I'll be in the midst of I've heard it all. I've heard it all. And I've got an answer for every single thing you can tell me. Believe me. So therefore, you may not want to come and talk to me about it since I've already given away the goods. But if you do, I will. I will. I'll talk to you about it. Someone sent me a text a while back and said, I believe God's leading me to come to church more. I actually write back. I didn't pray about it. I actually write back. If you think that, it's because he is. Why not? If you don't, if you're not, well, I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning, but if you only come once in a while, I'll guarantee you, I promise you and guarantee you, he's dealing with you about being in church more. Because that's where you're supposed to be. Why would he lead you to be somewhere you're not supposed to be? There's all kinds of good reasons or excuses, whichever label you want to put on them. All kinds of things. And this is not the way I usually preach, is it? I don't preach much about the church. Talk about coming to church. Remember sometime I told you a while back that I said every now and then I pick out a clothesline sermon and I preach it? This is a semi-clothesline sermon today. I come to church. But it's biblical. It's biblical. And I found it to be biblical in my own life, and I found it to be one of the greatest strengths that I had. Was I always was in the church service. I was worshiping God, and out of that, God gave me strength. I remember the first time I ever had communion in church. Let me just tell you this little thing. That's not on here, but I'm going to tell you this little thing. The first time I ever had communion in my old church, I hadn't been saved very long. Hardly anybody knew me. We didn't have like we do now. You know, we teach people, we got to greet people, make people welcome and friendly. I was welcome by a couple of people, but I had to get to know everybody. That was, this, this was before people knew to do things like that. It, it was kind of like the philosophy was almost like it's us, it's us and iron. Ain't you iron? We don't need you here. <laughs> you get it. Some of you do. So, so I was sitting there on the pew, right on the end of the pew. And, and I didn't know what the communion was. Nobody had ever explained it to me. I didn't know what it was. If they had said to me, what is I said, it's the refreshment for the service, I guess. I don't know. That's the truth. I didn't know. I was, ig- I was so ignorant because you don't know how ignorant I was. I didn't know anything when I first got saved, except I was saved. I knew that. I knew that. I knew that. I knew that. And I knew that little church where I got saved and where they wanted me to I was going to go anyhow. So, so I was there that Sunday morning, not two or three weeks after I got saved. Maybe. First time they'd ever had communion. First time I'd ever seen it. And so I'm sitting there by myself. I don't know where my mother was that day. I was by myself. And, sitting there, and a couple of spaces on the side of me. I was kind of by, really by myself on the pew. And they came by. And, and, and when they walked around serving it, in those days the men would say, this is his body broken for you. The servers would be saying this. This is blood shed for you. So I picked up that much. This has got something to do with the body and blood of Jesus. I knew it wasn't really his body, but they said it's a symbol of it. So I, I got that much of it. And when they told me that, they started to say that. I started to cry. I didn't know why. Have you ever started crying when you don't know why? Sometimes it's a bad thing. Sometimes it's a really, 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 really good thing. I started to cry. I said, and I was weeping. I started to really weep. And the people on the pew right across the aisle from me, they were the ones that could see me. I was on about the second pew. They were, and the people on the aisle started giving me a funny look. They did, really. 
I don't know. I'm just going to go ahead and do what I'm doing. So I cried when they said eat, I ate. They said drink, I drank. And then later on, time passed, I began, I began to really learn what it really meant and, and, and what a great blessing it is to the child of God. But, but in the early days, I didn't know that. But I, I'm saying that to tell you, that did not dissuade me, not one degree, from being in the house of God. Because the more I was there, the more I knew that I needed to be there. And the more the value of it increased. And, I, and, and I, as I read the Bible over the years, and Peter and John went up to the temple the morning that they healed the blind man in the power of Jesus' name. Not the blind man, the lame man. I think I said blind, but he was lame. Well, he healed some blind people too, so whatever. The lame man said he got the beautiful gate, and they walked by, and, the, and, and they went up at the hour of prayer. They were going to the 3 o'clock prayer meeting in the temple. Why? Because that's where they usually went. They knew the schedule. They knew what time the prayer meeting was at the hour of prayer. They went up about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And as they walked in, they passed this blind man. And because they were in the prayer, in the spirit of prayer, and the power of God moved, and you know the story, they reached out and said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. He stood up and walked and ran and shouted all over the place. Thousands of people were drawn to it because of say, the might and the power of that great miracle. But that's what happens. Things like that happen when people do regularly what they're supposed to do, which is to be in the house of God. Now, I, I don't want to overstate this, so let me just clarify with you. I know that people can come just out of habit and out of routine, and people can kind of let that be their bondage if they choose to be. God doesn't intend it that way. He expects us to come to church and receive His blessings, the blessings of His presence, the blessings of the power of His Holy Spirit. He expects us to receive that when we come together in the house of God. And if we don't, it's because we miss something that we're supposed to get when we're here and God's present to bring those blessings to us. So I need my church. And it's interesting. I'll make this one more point. Peter and John, after they came out, were arrested by the Sanhedrin, the, the head council of all the Jews in the, in the, in the area, and, and, and for all of Judaism. So they arrested them, and they made accusations against them. They, they talked with them. They said, what are you doing now preaching and teaching? Whose name is this Jesus of Nazareth that you're talking about? And, of course, they said, you can't do this anymore. You've got to stop preaching this Jesus. And Peter said, whether it's in the right, in, right in the sight of God for us to do what you're telling us or not, I do know this. We are going to have to preach what we have seen and heard. It's what we've experienced. We've got to tell. And we're going to keep on doing it no matter what. They wanted to punish them more. They'd like to have thrown them in prison. But they couldn't because all the crowd that was mobbing around over every place were for Peter and John and glorifying God in what had happened. And they knew if they did, they would be in trouble of a riot. So the Bible says they charged them not to preach or teach anymore in this name of Jesus and to let them go. Now, when they let them go, this is what I want to point out to you. The Bible says when they let them go, they left. They've been arrested. They've been going up to the temple. By now, it's time for the prayer meeting to be over, I suppose. And so they left, and the Bible says they went to their own company. That's the King James. The other place that said a little bit less. They went to gather with their friends, so they went where the believers were. The fact is they went to their own company. They knew where the people of God would be 
where they would be gathered, where they would be meeting. And so they went there and met them and rejoiced in what God had done and how the Lord had set them free and they'd not been put in prison. So they went to their own company. I've said this a lot of times when I've been in, invited to go to churches where I've never been. And I'm up before I know I'm in a Pentecostal service or a Spirit-filled church. I've often said, every time, and it's true, whether I'm here or whether I'm somewhere else, anytime I come together in the body of Spirit-filled believers, I always feel like I've come to my own company. I feel like I've come to my own place, to my own people, just where I'm supposed to be. That's still carried over from all those years ago. Every time I went to the house of God, I felt I was in the right place. And every time I've been in the house of God anywhere else over the world, I've always felt I was in the right place. I feel like when I've come into the house of God where spirit-filled people are there to worship, I've come to my own company, right where I'm supposed to be. So your church, my church, I need my church. I hope my church needs me. I want my church to need me. I want to be a part of filling the place in my church. But what's really important for me to know is that I need my church. It's secondary that my church needs me. I don't come here, believe it or not, I don't come here just to preach on Sunday morning. I'm here to preach, but that's not the only reason I came. If I'm not preaching, how many times have I ever missed being here in, in, in the eight, not eight and a half years that I've been the pastor? I could count on one hand, two at most. Because, because when somebody else is preaching, I don't stay home, wait and listen to it on the internet. I come to the house of God. I, I just believe that's what we're supposed to do. Now, again, if you want to debate me on this, I'll be happy to meet you any time that we'll set a time, and I'll talk this over with you if you disagree with me. And I'll be happy to do it because I think when I get through discussing this with you, I'll have somebody else who agrees with me. <laughs> he said presumptuously. <laughs> so, I need my church. You need your church. You need it now. You needed it yesterday. You need it now. You'll need it tomorrow. There'll be something that comes along in your life when you realize you really do need your church and how much it means to you to be a member, a part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and declare it to be so. When you come to the house of God, that's what you're saying. That's what you're declaring. Now, let's talk about this just a little part. Your church needs you. I need my church. My church needs me. Paul clearly taught that we're all part of the body. Get, get over into Corinthians and, and read the passages and tell you. He says that we're all a part of the body. Now, just because everybody can't be the eye or can't be the mouth, we all would like to be the mouth or the tongue, but because everybody can't be that, some of us can be just a thumb, but we don't want to be without a thumb. I don't, do you? So we are some, some part of the body that is a part of the functioning of the body and that pleases and honors God that we are that. When he brings us into his body, he makes us a part of it. And Paul was just using that as an example to show how everybody doesn't do the same thing. We're not all called with the same gifts, not all called to do the same thing. We're called for different things. But in the body of Christ, we're all a part of it, whether we're a finger or a hand or an elbow or a knee. And I'll just stop because whatever, whatever part. I don't want to get to the big toe or the little toes of So anyway, so we're a part of the body, and our, our church needs us. 
as that. We are, we are part of the body of Christ. I need Jesus because we're there as the body of Christ. The Christians, when they came together, they were in Antioch, you know, they were, and they had, a real, they had a real bond among them. They fasted and prayed. They were seeking God. They sent missionaries out. They, they did many wonderful things. And they were representing Christ so well. In Antioch, they, they began to call them Christians. First, they were followers of the way. And then they began to be called Christians. And it was a great title because, you know, Christian means a little Christ. I don't think people know that now. Christian has become such a common, ordinary, unimportant, and weak, certainly not powerful word, that it almost means nothing anymore. Say, I, know, I know people say, oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, really, where do you go to church? Well, I don't go. Well, uh, what's your favorite Bible passage? Uh, isn't there one in there that's called John 3.16? <laughs> well, I'm a Christian. <laughs> Name only. I started referring to people more as Christ followers or Christ's friends better than just calling them a Christian. Simply because we've, watered, we've let that word watered down become watered down so much. But, 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 but that doesn't mean in any sense of the word that your church doesn't need you. Does, but, we, but I know for me, I need my church more than, even more than my church needs me. I put a great value on that, as you know from what I've said this morning. And I believe you ought to put a great value on it as well. And again, I said, I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir this morning. But there are a few of you who may need to hear what I'm saying. And all of you can take what I'm saying and spread it to somebody else. And anybody can go listen to it on it. If you will go to your, to your website, and if you think this is worth sharing with somebody who might need it, that you know who might need it, you go to the website and get this sermon, and once you get it up on the, the play part, there's a little, looks like a little book with an arrow in it. That's a share button. It'll tell you that's a share button. If you click on that, it'll give you a place where you can list the emails of all the people you want to send it to. And you can either pretend you're somebody else, or you can just put your name on there and let them know that you're wasn't sending it to them. But there are many people, I, 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 know, I know many people who need this, people I've never asked to listen to this. But when I ask them to listen to it, it's kind of like they, that's what they expect. Other people ask them to do it. It may even be more of an impactful to them for that to happen. So I think this is important, important for us to know, important for us to gather around. And I'm going to give you this to leave, to leave it with you, that the church of Jesus Christ is the one, I don't want to call it an organization, I want to call it the one gathering that the Lord Jesus has said bears his name. There's a lot in the history of the That's something I'm not a whole lot interested in, enough to teach and talk about. But the value of the house of God and serving God in his house today is something that I find very, very important in my life. And I believe you ought to find it is very important in your life. You're not here just because it's a routine to come. You're here because you come to be in the presence of God. And God moves and God blesses. We have been blessed in God's presence this morning. And I hope that what I've said today is something that's encouraging. Now, I don't want to discourage you in any way. I just want to let you know how valuable it is that you are in a body. You're a part of this body. 
and it's significantly important to you to be a part. On the other side, the value that you can have because your church needs you is that much more of a blessing and that much more of a reason to be in the house of God on a faithful and regular basis. How many of you agree with me? Uh, let me ask you this way. Almost all of you raise your hands. I'm just, how many of you believe it? we with at least 98%? Raise your hands. <laughs> all of you were 100%. There was no 98% left. I didn't leave anybody. I should have said that first. Well, anyway, I know that you do. God bless you for it. Let's stand together, please.